that's a triple play. New episodes of Conway. The first gate, press play, no need to debate. AOA, check me out. Look, clocked in, you could catch the hype. Golden Dawn, how we follow the light. Anime like life, uh, married to it, my wife. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages? Welcome back to the AOA show. I'm your host, as always, Ian, along with my boys, Isaiah. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> and get it. What's going on? <laughs> and today we're here to take a deep dive on Tower of God Season 2 of the Webtoon, chapters, or episodes rather, 66 to 80. Mm-hmm. If you didn't catch our live stream already, you definitely want to catch that. Lots of laughs, lots of key moments in it, and a lot of hype as well generating it. These were crazy chapters, crazy, crazy. Yes. And I know I keep on saying this every time, but I'm serious. It just gets more it's wild. It's never not wild. true. It really <laughs> is. Not, it's never not true. Like it just keeps on getting crazier and crazier and crazier mm-hmm. um, as we proceed with that. So definitely check that out. Um, if, when, if, and when you get the chance, but anyway, we're going to hop right into this discussion. We have to thank the lovely members of our discord for putting forward some uh, pretty key points that they thought would be pretty relevant to talk about Mm -hmm. during this discussion. And we are definitely using a lot of those key points. So thank you for that. And if you want to be a part of that, be sure to join the community discord. That way you could voice your opinions after stream. Um, you know, and tell us what you think some relevant points and talking points are mm-hmm. with it as well. But anyway, guys, if you like the content today, make sure you guys are liking, subscribing, hitting that notification bell, sharing with your friends, and commenting your thoughts down below. What did yes. you think of these chapters? What do you think of Tower of God? And what did you think about our discussion? Make sure you guys are listening to us on audio-only platforms at Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Pod... No, not Podbean anymore. Anchor, etc. That was an old life. Um, sorry, yeah, I know. Dude, I'm just getting like this rhythm of the plugs. But anyway, follow us on socials. Uh, like I said, hit us up on that community Discord. Mm-hmm. Be a part of the conversation there. If you want to take the support even further, you can hit us up on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash AOA show. And as always, all these links are in the description down below. But anyway, let's get into it. So the first thing we wanted to talk about today, and let me get to it real quick because this time it took screenshots so we could incorporate panels, but not, I wouldn't be like all wrapped up and trying to scroll through the entire thing. So we have a couple, we have some key talking points here. Bam, pen, pad, let's do this. Number one, we have May. Uh, and just May as a character and also as the leader of the group that houses none other than the Mad Dog as well. So what were our impressions of her? I have a screenshot from her initial appearance in some of the first panels when Chibisu was like checking out the girls at the pool and then, you know, she was laughing because Anak was beating him over the head. Although she makes more of an appearance throughout this. Um, she's one of the gamblers yep. um, as well. She has a, you know, a thing going through it, but I was curious to hear thoughts and, you know, is she slept on? Is she not? I don't know. What do you think? Um, I definitely think that she is slept on in terms of, like, how useful of a character she is. Um, Because, again, I feel like one of the great things about the show is that, like, every character, all these characters have such distinct roles, but each role, like, needs to be played. And if you're missing even one, your team or your your ability to pass that test is that much less of a chance. Um, because of the test that's taken in this or, or the you know part of the tournament, let's say, um, she's one of the only two people to pass. Um, yeah. Everybody else technically fails, um, and it's because I think she has this like wild card, unpredictable thing where like she's not really, she's like so much less of a tactical, uh, you know, fighter or, or planner or leader or whatever you want to uh, classify her as, um, than say most of the other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it actually in a weird way puts her in an advantage because it's kind of like the whole, uh, 
coon rack duality where mm. like she seems to me like somebody that like sort of really rides on like instinct and impulses um which obviously could get her into trouble but i think in, in specifically a tournament or test whatever you want to call it like this um it sort of goes to her benefit because gambling is kind of like a very impulsive thing it's like oh, i'm sure. just feeling it you know and it yeah worked. yeah i think she's definitely down that like up oh, whatever road but she might again there's so many factors here and yeah. so many times characters mm. take us for surprise um and she might just have more cards than we think and is just choosing not to show them at the moment, kind of mm. like flippantly going through. But, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Gavin? It's definitely that. I mean, we're going to see you more think? of her. And, like, honestly, I'm okay with that because we need, like, an actual good blonde in this story. Because not going to lie, like, <laughs> it's a very I'm, about it. I'm about it, you know. <laughs> to be and fair, best boy does dye his hair blonde in these chapters. So we have one good blonde. We do have one good blonde. However, we also have another blonde who she will not be ma- be named by anybody <laughs> on the show ever again. So we need to fill that void in my heart with Facts. someone relevant. And yeah. look at this beautiful face. She just face seems like a peach. Yeah. yeah. Seems like a nice although, person. Although that just makes me more scared because like I have a feeling she's going to have that other side to her where oh, it's yeah. like some scheme well, that's the type thing, right? shit. It's like, yeah. like, all right. In season one, Reune, like, was considered a side character. Yeah. Now she's like a pivotal person yeah. involved in the story. And it's yeah. like, I don't know what she's got going on yeah, a yeah. season from know. now. She could be yeah, fucking but, but Jahaz White. <laughs> the Jahaz White, dude. We just don't know. Yeah, right? That is crazy. I like the little angel wings. <laughs> dude, I don't know. There's just something about it. They're definitely going to show more panels of her, and I just really hope she's not an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Tower of God. It's like, yeah. I don't know who you're, what kind of person you're going to turn out to be, yeah. but just don't be a dick. Don't be an asshole. For real. So then we get yeah. into uh, Rack coming back and his spat that he has with Kuhn, um, which was just all kinds of emotional. Rack just brought us all of the emotions yeah. this read-through with, with Bam later, with Kuhn now. And, you know, we were saying it before, but Rack is the greatest antithesis for Kuhn in the sense, mm-hmm. and they work so well together in the sense that I feel like they need each other mm-hmm. more so than some other people. They're literally like peanut butter and jelly, right? But they're like polar opposites, but they work so well because Rack is just so much to the extreme of this instinctual, mm-hmm. I got to follow my heart, you know, style thing. Uh, and my instinct and where Kuhn is like, you know, completely analytical to a fault, right? He can't trust, he yeah. overthinks, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of thing. And so we obviously see them get into it here. Um, you know, before they come to, you know, a resolution on, on how that goes. But I'm yeah. curious to see if you guys had any thoughts on that. Well, definitely the balance is there and it's great that he is like almost, he's a little like ledge for Kuhn, you know, and obviously he's there to like fucking really step on his break and be like, yo, you need to fucking reanalyze and like get your priorities straight. And that's amazing. But what I appreciate most about he, him being more like now introduced in the second season is I feel like his character as a whole is coming full circle because like in the beginning of the show, Yes, he was there and he was the comedic relief, but I felt like it was almost surface level in a sense where you knew he was a homie and he was always there and he always had your back, mm-hmm. but he was missing that depth because they just never went in on him. Like they, sure. he would, they never saw him. We never saw him fighting, like going all out. Like it was, it was just, we were lacking something that we knew was there. And I feel like now SIU is finally putting rack out there in his true emotional state and like how he just really misses everything and he like he has layers of emotion beyond just like being loud angry and funny you know and it's really nice finally seeing it like come to fruition and i love it like i just now i want to rack plushie yeah (laughs) no i totally agree i think it's what's great about 
these two is like, you know, you've made a pretty good analogy where it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? They are opposites that work best together, mm-hmm. uh, where Kuhn is a very analytical mind and he's very overly cautious and he's very like, well, wait, that plan, we've got to run through it like another 90 times to make sure it works. And Rack is like, I'm just going to step out the door and whatever hits me, hits me. Um, but it's like, so, you know, each has obvious faults, but like with them being checks and balances for each other, they're able to actually be almost this unstoppable force because they have, you know, this side is running through this plan and then they, but they have somebody who's willing to sort of like, you know, pump the brakes when that planning gets a little ahead of itself and be like, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, take a step back. Like we could just run in there and start th- swinging on people. You know what I mean? And it's like you, when you get the best of both of those mindsets and those kinds of characters, um, it, it's easy to see like, you know, I guess like where that chemistry comes from. And I act, but I actually think like they work the, the best, let's say, um, as a threesome with Bam, I think the the missing component here is that Bam brings a lot of humanity to this group here, to this mm-hmm. trio. Mm-hmm. I think both, while Kuhn and Rack have their obvious strengths in their logistical skills and, and analysis and, and Rack with like sort of his impulsiveness and brute strength, um, they can both get a little bit too caught up in their own mindsets. And Bam is like mm-hmm. a very neutral uh, force to the both of them that makes them both sort of stop and be like, look, it's, I mean, like that's a lot of these chapters yeah. is, is that, right? Is the longing for like that, connection between these three because they mm-hmm. shared something important i think no matter how much either of them admit it um rack or i'm sorry i believe it somebody else is talking to coon or to, to rack about coon mm-hmm. and they tell dan. rack dan dan um yeah. that that moment when he met them was unquestionably one of the happiest moments of his life and it's because mm-hmm. i think together these three like are just three peas in a pot. Like, they yeah, fit yeah. in completely. And you know what the best example is, uh, of that dynamic is? Back, if you remember in season one, the door test with Han Song. Yep. And even he was like, when Kuhn couldn't make the decision on what door to open because, you know, he was trying to run through all the analytics in his mind. And Rack just went and just fucking opened the door. And, like, they freaked out. And then Han Song, like, had a moment when he, when he was, like, in his own mind telling us viewers, pretty much saying that Kuhn needs someone like Rack in his life to really just break out of that overthinking nature and just fucking go for it and, you know, take that next step forward, even if it's risk or unknown or dangerous or what, like, sometimes you need to just step outside your comfort zone and really go for it. And Rack is, like, the epitome of that. He doesn't give a fuck who or what he's against. He's going balls to the wall 100%. Right. And it's amazing to tough in this moment, right, like, the core of their conflict here because I mentioned this on stream where it's, like, you want both of them to be right, right, where, like, Rack is, like, dude, fuck this shit, we gotta stop thinking about this, like, let's roll up into their crib and just snatch Bam the fuck out of there. And it's like, yes, I want that, I want you to do that, and I want that to happen, but, like, it can't be that simple. Like, if it was, Bam would probably already be here. Like, you know, there are, we see it later in the chapter, there are inherent obvious consequences to fucking with Fug and and what the whole operation they have going on here, and even just trying to pull Bam out of that um, has clearly already led to some, you know, lasting, let's say, consequences later down the road. Um, but at the same time, there is something to say, uh, to sort of like over planning and, and being like, all right, what's the best way to stealthily get into their operations and mm-hmm. sort of fuck them over from the ground under, sure. um, because you spend too much time planning and not enough time actually like figuring out what works. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's tough here. Cause like, again, with Rack being introduced, he kind of strong arms the, the operation here, so to speak, um, because he gets tired of waiting on Kud and he's like, all right, fuck this. We're just going and, and things start rolling in that direction. But it's like, it's a tough thing to like you know, to, to, to call or be like, who's really, you know, who's really like the most correct here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was very heartfelt when, you know, Kuhn was like, listen, listen, boy, you know me too well, you know, that, you know, 
I'm trying to get Bam back, the same as you. Just take it easy, mm-hmm. take a chill pill. We're gonna do this. Like you really count your boy out like that? You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? That's yeah. what, and we looked at him. It was like it was a cool thing to mm-hmm. see. And it's like, yes, the boys are back. Like let's go. That's what I'm saying. Let's go. So then, um, one thing that we want to talk about too was Miss Sophie. So this character has been shrouded in sort of mystery in the sense that it's like, okay, we know where she is, but we mm-hmm. don't necessarily know why and why she's stuck there. And Horiang specifically, your teddy bear is having doubts essentially. And it's very sad to see because this character, you know, in terms of the backstory was a mother figure for, you know, the devil's right and left arm for, um, for both the guys. And it was, um, it was a very interesting thing to see. There was a panel specifically where he comes up and you could see it in his face. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, he doesn't want to believe it, but you know, he's coming to these thoughts where it's like, okay, well, why? Yeah, you showed us love, and mm-hmm. if it wasn't for your love, we wouldn't have been able to get through it the way we did. But like, why are you not out of this business now? Mm-hmm. And like, why are you still experimenting on other people? And not only that, but just so like nonchalantly saying it, right? Because there's a point where she's like, "Oh yeah, that's my that's my next one. That's that's Beta. Mm-hmm. You know who we'll talk about in a second. Like, this is Emily. You know, and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're crazy. You know, like <laughs> like do you understand what you're doing here? Right? Like this is like some weird shit. Like I don't think you're really grasping this, but. Yeah, I um I don't know. She's very interesting. I think she's evil, personally. I'm just going to come out right and say it, but I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on her and if you think that she's up to no good or if she's a victim of circumstance mm. or she just doesn't realize. I I don't know. She's kind of tough, again, because like even what we've learned from her, we mm. still relatively don't know anything about her, right, or, or like her involvement. I mean, we know what the things she's done, but like as far as what that extends into her personal background, like we don't have really anything. Sure. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's like a little bit of both where it's like, I, I don't know if I would be like, she's outright evil um, because I think that that classifies her in a category of like, she's mm-hmm. doing things to fuck with people like just to hurt them. And I don't necessarily think that's where her head's at. Um, but I do think her, her mind is in a place of like not putting the feelings of these people first, mm-hmm. which is inherently bad, but I don't think that's the same thing as evil. But I think what's, I think the worst thing about it is the fact that while she was showing, uh, Horhang and Casano, like this affection and this love and, and Horhang is this moment when he's talking with Gosang, um, where he, you know, is saying it was great. All the things that she gave us and that she made us feel, but if those things were fake, if they were built just off the premise to get us, through the day or, or make sure that we survive and, and become this project, um, then those feelings are fake, right? And yeah. fake feelings are ultimately the same thing as no feeling. Sure. So it it begs the question to me of like, okay, that tells me that she's clearly somebody who is not putting these people's feelings first and that she's, at the end of the day, she's got to get this job done, right? Like that's what's important to her. So I guess my thing is like for her, where where does that stem from? Are you doing this because like this job or whatever, or is the most important thing to you? Or is it a thing of like, look, if I don't get this done, like either I'm axed or somebody I love, like, you know what I mean? Is she sort of being held by, or as a, is a victim of her surroundings or circumstances? Sure. Cause again, even so far as Sophia, we don't know anything about the, the bigger picture here of like the people that built this place that why, you know, who's at the head of these experiments? What it, the, you know what I mean? Like, there's just, there's so much mystery shrouded around their organization, I guess, as a whole, that, like, I'm hesitant to be, like, that's an evil bitch. Like, straight up, get yeah, her out of yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, like, also hesitant to to take the blame off her, because she definitely, obviously, has blame in, at the very least, Casano and Horror. I mean, w- there's that um, scene, you know, where, at, while um, 
Horhang is talking to Gosang, uh, Casino is on his phone and he's asking Emily about her. And like you, you know, you get the she responds with the crushing text of like she doesn't love you or like these feelings aren't real. And it's like that, you know, take anything else that that she's ever done or will do aside. Like she has fucked these two up, right? Like, there is a there is trauma that these two now have because of this that like they're going to have to slowly and build. And unfortunately, uh, Casino's probably going to have a harder time doing it just because Teddy seems to have at least found another group that he can confide in, and obviously specifically with Gosang. Sure, um, but yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think, Evan? Yeah, it's interesting, especially listening to your points. And I agree partially with them. Not in, not really the latter, though, because honestly, at the end of the day, I feel like it's just one of those crazy science bitches who, like, you see in any show where it's they're just so involved in their work. They just – it's not that they're evil per se. It's that they just really want to succeed in whatever they're studying or researching and whatever, mm-hmm. and they don't care what they have to do to reach – said end results but that's like their pride and their joy and they they will put on whatever front that they need to to succeed in their plans and what made it glaring obvious to me that it was the case was when literally she saw Horiang or Teddy Bear for the first time and literally like it was just emotionless like oh you got bigger you know it's like if she genuinely had those feelings for him it would have been like a hug and oh my god and all this stuff like you would have seen that vulnerability come down a little bit but for her it was just like fucking Stonewall Jackson like yeah you got big go fuck yourself you know like and and that's and that's what kind of made it glaringly apparent that it was just a front that she put on whether it was just to help them morale wise so they didn't want to kill each other or you know just to boost them up so hopefully you know they can let them out on their own that's what i feel personally does that mean that she's evil per se? I wouldn't say no, not inherently, just a bad person. Yeah. Um, but then again, if she's also trying to go out just to ice people to ice them, then I'd say there's an inherent evil. But it's kind of like a catch-22 where it's like, I don't know, I feel like she's just a shitty person at the end of the day. Or she's just too wrapped up in her own worth and like self-pride in what she wants to do research-wise that she just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. But yeah. She's sketchy. That's she all is, I'm she saying. She is sketchy. There's yeah. some sketch yeah. going on with this one. But... Anyway, um, while we, we're going to come back to her in a second, but um, one thing that was interesting that we see now was the overwhelming support by your, mm-hmm. let's call it your average Joe, yeah. right, for Fug. Mm-hmm. And Bam not only is being regarded as a savior or like a Christ figure or a god amongst Fug, but also amongst your, your average Joes, right? right? And we see this when Bam enters... Viol enters this, you know, this stage before they're kind of setting all the things up for the game. And, uh, you know, people come up to them, or to him, rather, and they're like, hey, you're doing a good thing here. And I've been dealt a lot of injustice by Jihad and the Ten Great Families. And to be honest, I'm kind of tired of this whole system. So, like, if you if you could change it, man, yeah, you have my support, right? And so that was interesting because I didn't know... I mean, like, you always think that it's like, you know, there's these people that are you know, supporting them from the shadows. And like, there probably are people and stuff like that. But like, it was interesting to see so many outright supporters, especially in this scenario that were not afraid to be like, yo, fuck Jihad, fuck the families. You know what I mean? Like, I want, you know, I want you to do this. Um, So I was curious if you guys had any thoughts, obviously on that. I thought it was interesting. It took me by surprise a little bit, you know, at least how blatantly obvious it was. For me, I wasn't actually surprised when I saw this, mainly for when we first met met Wangnan. And, you know, obviously when he was taking the test because he felt like his back was against the wall because he was in so much debt. Like, realistically, if you're not a part of the Great Ten Families, this is your life. If you're not powerful, you're not moving up the tower. You are living a shitty life. From yeah. everybody that we have met so far who aren't, you know, of nobility in some sense, they have all lived shitty lives. So for me, it's 
pretty obvious that many people would turn that against the jihad and the 10 families and going, I'm suffering because you guys aren't, you know, you live this prosperous life. You have all this money, you have all this power, like you have all this fame, like that envy, that like envious nature that you're naturally going to have because of the state that you're in, you're going to want to go against the 10 families. So like when I saw that, I understand the reasoning behind it and like the support for, you know, Viola or Bam, because now he's becoming their figurehead of change in a sense. And that word is getting spread through the tower. The only thing that, well, I mean, not the only thing, but one of the many things that's bad about that is we don't know the intentions of Fug in fruition. So yes, what they're doing on surface level might seem good. We want to overthrow Jihad. But with that said, are they just going to create their own like power vacuum of, you know, literally just restructuring everything to where they're on top and it's just, everything's flip flopped. And then at that point, you did nothing like you changed nothing. You just went, you just reverted back to your old ways in a way that you felt was right in your own mind. So that is like my struggle with it. But for me, I could see why pretty much anybody who isn't a part of the 10 great families would hate like Jihad because realistically they have nothing. Half of them are in debt and they're just fucking trying to live day to day. So, yeah, it's definitely like, you know, we've established before through previous episodes and streams and stuff that like bug is definitely in the gray, right? Um, as far as how they operate, what their true motivations are, or quite frankly, if they're just too big to where they can't isolate their motivations down to just one goal now, where it's like it's breaking off into sex and like certain people want to do things differently. But they clearly, you know, are drawing parallels here to like the radicalist group in the tower, right? They're the ones that want to overthrow the king and they want to, you know, take the system and flip it on its head and and, and right the wrongs that like jihad mm-hmm. and, and people under him have committed against everybody. Because we, the tower is so huge. The tower is literally its own ecosystem, right? This tower operates and survives quite literally completely independent of everything else outside of it. And like, so when you're picturing that it, yeah, it, it was, you know, relatively apparent to me that like, okay, if you have a system that big, there have to be people on the bottom. There mm-hmm. has to be somebody that's getting, you know, stepped on or somebody who the people at the top are profiting at the expense of. So it didn't bring me as a surprise necessarily that like these people were here or that they would be this outspoken. Um, because again, I think this is part of Fug's plan. The, the dangerous uh, part of their plan here is that their figurehead, the person that they are resting their bets on here is Bam. But that Bam is somebody who doesn't want to be here. He doesn't mm-hmm. want this status as a figurehead or a god. He doesn't want to be the one-all be-all that overthrows Jihad. Bam didn't ask for this, which means Bam personally has no real motivation or stakes to do this. So how does Fug fix that? Will they make it so that it would seem immoral of him to drop out of that role? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You make it so that all these people who have honestly and independently been fucked over by Jihad ha- now are pleading to him and looking to Bam as his sa- as their savior, or as their light. You make it so that Bam has to stay or feels obligated to stay, even if Bam has no personal motivation or stakes in this. And so I think that even amongst Fug's goal to overthrow Jihad and, and, and the tower and whatnot, like that seems gray but more on the on the the dark side to me where it's like you guys in order to get this done are single-handedly destroying bam's life i mean they're completely you know pigeonholing you know any say that he has in in what's going on and completely you know fucking and manipulating with his emotions to make it so that even if he doesn't want to be here he feels like he has to be and so like you're trapping Mm -hmm. him in that in that box of being this jewel by all grace that he didn't ask to be yeah beautifully put let's talk about um beta Mm-hmm. Let's talk about beta, ladies and gentlemen. Interesting. So we, you know, come back. We meet Sophia, like I said. 
And, you know, at this point, the devil's right arm before we kind of got all to all this was like the bee's knees. Yeah. It's like, you beat hots. You did all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, holy two shit. Survivors are, two survivors out of 100,000 experiments. Exactly. The two survivors. Until we have our new friend Beta here who says, hey, I not only survived, but I have both yeah. sides mm-hmm. in me now, which is kind of insane given the amount of extreme power that Horyang and uh, what's his name? Casano. Yeah. Have mm-hmm. already. Sure, sure. So, and this kid's interesting because he's, you know, he's relatively young, at least by the looks of it as well. So he catches hots essentially. Um, and that's when they imprison him. We'll get back to him later. Um, and he has a, he has a lot more to do in the later chapters that we read, um, especially with Bam specifically. Um, and I'm going to want to talk about that more as we get there. But what were our initial impressions of Beta? For me, it was kind of creepy how self-aware he is. Because one of the biggest things that, like, one of the biggest questions that arises from my mind when we met him was, A, how old is he? And B, how long has this experiment been going on for? Because we know of Horiang and Casano. Like, obviously, they were bred from when they were kids to, you know, have this power within them. Relatively, although you could take looks like looks you really can't go by because you can look at Nanak, fucking 300 years old, and she looks like 12 years old. So, like, age, I don't know what he's at. I would guess relatively young. And if that's the case, how is he so self-aware? And how do, how does he have access to this information that, like, he just knows everything? It's kind of creepy. And, like, yeah. if we're if I'm basing it off of, like, Casano and Horiang's timeline, like, they are much older realistically, how many years would it take them to perfect this experiment? Because obviously he had to come after them. So like, I'm trying to like, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out how old he is. And then with that age, how would he even know this information? Whether it was like given to him or fed to him, or he's yeah. just like that much of like a super genius that he's just like, yep, I just know fucking everything. Like, cause he knows information about BAM, which should be classified on many levels. Like yeah. he, he knows shit that like, Coon and his team don't know, and they've been here from the start, you know. And yeah, if this yeah. kid was like in the in this whole time period that we know now was just bred to this purpose and already is filled in on all this information and then some, like that's some sketchy shit going on, which makes me feel like I know we brought up this a couple um a while ago. Well, I guess it's obvious now that Fug is a part of these experiments in a sense, you know, because yeah. how would he know this information about Bam? Jihad doesn't right. know. Everybody thinks that he's dead. So, like, that's kind of like a glaring, yeah, this is a fog operation because how does he know this shit? Um, so, with that said, is he actually going to be almost like a right-hand man to Bam? Because if Bam isn't able to escape Fug, in a sense, and is still under their grasp, if he is now a creation of Fug, I, I'd imagine they're making him super fucking powerful because they want him and Bam to team up with another group of people to fight, you know? So I think in a way they're almost trying to curate a team behind the scenes to add on with Bam to then take out Jihad. And I feel like he is one of the future team members of that or will be in assistance in some way. Interesting. Assuming he's a part of FUG. Sure, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That yeah. Definitely that's the biggest thing because we do see at the end, which we'll get to, that he mm-hmm. seems to have his own motivations. That is also true. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if he's so inclined to go along with that plan, no. if that is the plan. And it could be just that he has so much power, like so much power that he was like, yeah, I was made, like they did make me, I don't give a fuck, I'll beat their asses, <laughs> like I'm doing my own thing, you know? Yeah. So I I'm kinda, curious on that. I kind of feel like he is, because the thing that comes to my mind when we talk about the fact that uh, Bait has gone through the same mm-hmm. ordeal that the devil's left and right arms have, is that is like the emotional strain. And like the mental strain that put on both Horhang and Casano, mm-hmm. they quite literally are both 
broken versions of themselves by the time they come out of that experiment. And that was just from half of the living weapon. This kid has both holes of that weapon. I, quite frankly, don't even think he's sane anymore. I really mm. think there's an argument to say that this, while this experiment technically worked, as in he's technically breathing, um, whoever this kid was when he went in, he's just broken. He is a complete chaotic neutral agent. And I do, I you know, at least just from impressions, think that he's very much operating off the realm of like, because there's a line he has sort of at the end, which we'll get to later, where he's like, this is what they wanted, right? This is what this is why they made me a weapon. I'm going to show them the kind of damage that they, that they did. And it's like, I think this kid is just out here to fuck over the people that took his life from him. And I think there is, there's this like, there's this scary level of control. And I guess like you put it, you framed it in a way, Gavin, um, awareness that he has of his situation, despite his circumstances, where I think it's not so much that like, he's part of Fug's operation and, and that they're like all sort of working in this big cahoots thing. But that again, he's really operating on his own terms and all the info he has is stuff he's found out from either, you know, stealing or, or listening in or whatever. Cause we know clearly that he's got no problem on how to break out and sneak out of his cell. Right. Cause he, that's how he makes it to Bam initially. He sneaks out of his room and gets into Bam's room completely undetected as well as the party. So we know he's got no problem like moving about, areas that he's not supposed to be able to get to. But I think he actually mentioned that he, like, he stated something in the manhwa itself saying, like, I hate how they keep me locked up in here. So I don't think he actually has as, or had as much free range as you think. Like, I No, I'm not saying, that's my point. I'm not saying he has free range. I'm saying he has free reign because he knows how to sneak out and get around without being detected. Not that he, it's given to him, but he takes it. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Because he was... Detect like they did realize he was gone pretty fucking fast. Yeah, know? but and that's not the same thing as letting him go. Yeah, but but I, I that would be assuming that he's done this many times. Where I don't think he actually has done this many times. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's we don't have thought. info that suggests. No, no, we don't. Him. But I'm just saying, like, that's my thought on it. Like, I don't think he was actually been sneaking out as much as you think he is. Because okay. like in well, a weird way, I feel like this was like an opportunity that he took where he felt like he can now get out and he is taking that opportunity because he doesn't want to be in there anymore, which is like kind of what he stated. All right. So well, I don't know. That's either way, I feel like his end goal here with this, this test that's coming up and mm -hmm. with Bam specifically um, is, is kind of just to fuck with them. Um, because I don't know. I think that line for me was the most telling where like, I think he's out here to prove a point that like you fuck with somebody this much, like that kind of, that kind of karma, for lack of a better term, um, is going to come back to bite you. And I think he plans on being that karma. Mm, interesting. Interesting stuff. So real quick, we don't have to harp on it too long, but I wanted to go over uh, Misang and Prince and their seemingly budding relationship. So it was interesting uh, because we had the flower scenario, right, when the test starts. And um, Misang kind of goes berserker mode. And we kind of get to see what she's capable of in that moment. And it wasn't anything like extraordinary because like it's it was played up to be that it was like insane at first, but she kind of like whacked two people out of the way. And then it was like once Prince was able to block and they were able to kind of secure a plan, like, you know, it was it was kind of just like a I'm feeling very weak and like I need to be able to support you guys and go up this and and be supported. So it's like I'm gonna do whatever it takes to do mm -hmm. so. Um, by, you know, resident psychopath who just wants to make dolls out of people and get them married because why not? You know, they don't right. have any agency of themselves. But so we get into this uh, into this and she beats some people up and then they essentially, you know, they come together and, and, and do this plan. But I thought this panel, uh, you know, don't leave me here, she okay. says to Prince, was very heartfelt. Yeah. And um, I'm seeing I'm seeing the seeds of a budding relationship here oh, between yeah. Prince and me saying, yeah, and I think that she... Um, she's kind of bringing Prince to like this like yin and yang middle 
because it's like, so Ark Raptor kind of rips on Prince earlier because Prince, who was the most arrogant and cocky prick from the beginning, was like way too over to the chaotic side, right? In the yin yeah. and yang. And then he pulls back into a more conservative stance. He's like, I've grown up, I've, I've changed, but almost to a fault now, where now he's, you know, he's afraid. He's like, oh, I couldn't fight back. I couldn't do that. And Ark Raptor, like, you know, Papa Raptor, like the dad he is, kind of had to slap some sense into his kids, you know, yeah. or his daughter's boyfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? And be like, listen, dude, because he basically adopted me saying without her even knowing it, it's like, you're going to date my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of yeah, yeah. got to be a man about this. You got to nut up. And he's like, what happened to that fire? He's like, listen, you were an arrogant, cocky prick, but like it got you to move. Mm -hmm. And fortune favors the bold, my guy. So like you can't you can't be on the total opposite side of the spectrum. Like use that, you know, that that confidence that you had, the overwhelming amount of confidence and you know, use that for something good, yeah. right? And help me with this damn plan, <laughs> you know? So, like, yeah. so Prince kind of snaps, too, in that moment, and mm -hmm. it was really cool to see Missing kind of ground him in that middle now. So, you know, he's been, he's able to lash out and be aggressive when he needs to. Yeah. Um, and, like, probably to a fault more at times, but it's not that he's so in one side or the other now that it's, like, too much to a fault. Definitely. You know? I think it, what's cool, again, is, like, a lot of these characters, we talked about uh, Kuhn and Rack earlier, how they have this, you know, innate chemistry. Um, a lot of these characters possess it, and a lot, you know, there's the ob more obvious pairings, right? Like you have Kuhn and Rack, uh, Prince and Meesing, um, but have these, these you know, character flaws that are in can innately be covered up or at the very least supported by another character's personality because it's just the way that they, they plug in together. Sure, sure. Um, so, like, while I think that Meesing, or, what, yeah, while I think that somebody like Meesing is good for Prince because it gives him something to fight for in a sense... Um, like kind of gives him the best of both worlds with this, where it's like, no, you're gonna have to like, like be able to nut up and stand up on your own to fight, um, in order to protect her. Um, but at the same time, Meesing is also a delicate person. Like you're gonna have to learn to like that arrogance, that strength that you get from your arrogance. You can't just ride with that train. You're yeah. gonna have to learn to come down every once in a while and like, like talk to her on this level and be approachable and be you know supportive and gentle. Um, but I think it, I think the relationship works both ways. I think for Meesing, Prince is somebody that gives her reason to want to fight, gives her reason to want to get stronger and want like she would. I don't think Meesing would be here if she never met Prince specifically. I think Prince, while you know it's easy to look at him, and it was when we met him and be like this fucking arrogant cocky head, um, you know, and that's what you see on the surface. That's the polar opposite of somebody like Meesing, who's very conservative, very reserved, like doesn't want to talk to people unless she absolutely has to. Um, you know, she needs a little bit of that from Prince. She needs this, like, no, you've got to get up, and, like, there is a reason to get up and, and get stronger and move up this tower. Like, so it, I love that, like, again, through multiple characters, not just the main ones, so to speak, um, we see this, like, innate, you know, yin and yang thing where it's, like, they do both get something out of this relationship, which makes it innately, like, that much more satisfying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So anyway, unless, did you have anything to say on that? No, you guys hit all the nails on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on here. So we got... The Mad Dog. Woof, woof. So let's have a conversation about this guy, huh? So this is the number one E-Rank regular, uh, and he really isn't like Bam. <laughs> so there's that. Um, he also blew a dude's head off with um, basically within the blink of an eye. Um, so they're definitely pumping this guy up to be somewhat par for the course in Tower of God, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you talk to someone, he's like, Hey, buddy, what's it's yeah, like, oh, well, that was insane. Have gotten like, from that store today. <laughs> yeah, so they really did a good job at introducing how powerful this guy was. So 
he is essentially a warrior that was uh, taken on by guy's name evades me at the moment. I apologize. I know he was really hyped up in chat, but the guy who owns this whatever part of the organization and essentially has him. Luna? What? Luna. I can't remember. Me? Started with a Y, didn't it? Was it or a B? Uh, Whatever. Don't shoot me. Oh. Sorry. Y'all, y'all can tell me in chat. But anyway, mm. the point is that guy owns this, you know, whatever, and then you know has him on as a, a warrior uh, child. child. Was it Bolgarv? Bolgarv or something yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he comes on, and you know he's been kind of gone through the ringer. It's trial yeah. by fire, right? Man. You know, and uh, so it's kind of hardened him into this very, you know, war tested battle-tested veteran, in a sense, who is just kind of pissed off at life now, you know, because yeah, pissed of all, off at Fug. <laughs> pissed yeah. off at Fug for all the shit he's went through. You know, he kind of, he disconnected from them, and even though he was part of that organization, in a sense, he's now, you know, directly opposed to them. And he especially blames Fug for everything going wrong in his life. So, obviously, if Bam is touted as this new god... You know, being with this this newfound respect that you've gained with a lot of people, you know, for every friend you gain, every enemy you gain as well, you know? Right. So yeah. it's like you can't win them all, and it's just unfortunate <laughs> that this guy is one of your enemies, but it is what it is. There's some powerful people that just don't want you around. At the end of the day, Bam's going to have to fight Jihad. So that's probably, mm-hmm. you know? That's true. Um, so, yeah, so this is the big bad for the moment here, and, you know, I'm very excited to see him and Bam go at it. Yeah. You know, and how that fight is going to pan out because we literally didn't get to really see anything. Mm-hmm. We, he literally walked up to the thing, the plug. The guy's like, yo, fight me. He's like, don't, don't hurt yourself, kid. Then he's like, fight me. <laughs> blew his head off. We didn't even see what he did. He yeah. like smacked him in the head with that thing, blew his head and off, didn't put the thing the in, done. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't know what this guy's capable of. And that creeps me out even more. Like, yeah. at least if I saw a fight or a fighting style, we could be like, okay, we could theorize, like, Bam's going to use this Shinsu thing, do this. No, we didn't see anything. He just died. He just yep. flatlined him <laughs> dead. So, Damn. you know, yes. Yeah. He's to exist. Very yeah. scary stuff. That was right. Yeah. He, it, well, what's interesting to me, again, is this idea that, like, because Fug is touting that, like, you know, Bam is our, Bam is the face of Fug, right? Like, he's going to be the one that takes Jihad down. He's going to be the one that saves everybody from the tower. Um, and, and, like, Fug is, you know, we're going to be the ones helping him. Like, where, you know, and so obviously with somebody like Mad Dog, who, like, doesn't look at any of that shit in a positive light, um, what interests me is, again, is, like, information, right? Which is almost as deadly of a weapon in this show as straight up these powers are. Um, if... Mad Dog's hatred for Bam stems from the fact that he is the figurehead of Fug. Like, is there something to say that Mad Dog's opinion can't be turned if he were to learn that Bam is not as involved or, or does not fuck with Fug as much as it, you know, as public perception would appear? Because I mean, we, he doesn't. <laughs> He's quite <laughs> the opposite. Fug is fucking him over just as much as they probably fucked over Mad Dog. So it's like, you, I actually think while obviously we are setting this up, this conflict uh, initially to be enemies, um, they're more alike than they think. They both are victims of Fug. Yeah. yeah, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. That was actually my exact thought. I was going to yeah. say, I, my prediction was in their fight together, there would be a realization from Mad Dog in terms that Bam uh, Bam isn't who he necessarily thinks that he is and that, you know, he isn't actually like a fug. He, he, isn't, he doesn't want to be a part of fug, and that's glaring obvious. Even when Bam fights, he just anybody really associates him with a godlike figure in fug, and he hates that. Like, he does not want to be seen in that light. And you already know that Mad Dog's going to go fight him and be like, 
I hate you because you're a part of Fog, and Bam's going to be like, well, I don't like Fog either. So there's going to have that. Yeah. That interaction is going to happen yeah. at the end of the day, whether it leads to the end of the fight, which obviously has to happen because <laughs> there's no way you're introducing a character like this and sure. not having him fight Bam. Yeah. Like, it's just flat out. So it's going to lead to a point. Funny how that works, fight. how, like, so much needless yeah. violence happens over some sort of difference in opinion or because yeah. somebody seems different than you. Weird, yeah. You right? think if, like, before <laughs> anybody fought, they just, like, went and go got a coffee or something, just had, like, a general conversation <laughs> that maybe all this could have been avoided, ah, but not. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. This is Tower of God. This is real life. We, we only <laughs> humans. Humans only know violence. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, dude. All right, so the next thing we wanted to talk about was uh, Shasha, who made some digs at Viol. So, I can't remember, what did he say? I can't remember what he said exactly, but she's basically like, don't say that shit so, again. That yeah, so when he goes out on into his first round, mm -hmm. um, the, like, fake fug followers or worshippers, mm -hmm. um, you know, start talking him up, and they're like, oh, you're so great, and he's like, cut that shit out, I can see right through the act, like, you don't really give a fuck about me, or fug, and I don't want any of this, and, and sort of steps on the idea that he could be their god, and that he's this person that's looking out for them, because he's like, I'm not that, I'm one dude, I'm a human, like, don't fuck with me like that because I don't fuck with you guys like that. And, like, you know, and basically, Shasha, who is clearly very committed to Fug um, and who makes a point earlier to say that, like, no, she's really kind of just in this for the money and she doesn't have some heartfelt, you know, sad backstory, um, clearly gets personally offended at that, at Bam making that remark um, about saying the fact that, like, there is no God and there is no God that can make their wishes come true um, because she says, you know, and quote on the panel here that, like, a God who can't make their wishes come true is useless to them. Um, which clearly stems from some sort of personal grievance that she has with either Fug and by the extension of the tower and Jihad um, and proves that like much like what she would have you not believe earlier, um, she does have some personal stake in this. Maybe it's not a sad backstory, quote unquote, but so she's a lot more tied up in this than she would lead people on to believe. Um, and she's got a little bit more, uh, you know, I would even dare to say a dark side to the, you know, to the whole operation here than she lets people, you know, think or expect sure yeah i uh thought it was ironic that she calls him a god but then says um if you do this thing you're useless <laughs> so it's like wait a minute so you regard him as the god but then if he doesn't do what you say he's like you're gonna get mad at him and it's like wait wait, wait, wait. so then you yourself just want to be the god right because then right, now yeah, you're yeah, steering yeah. god in the direction that you want him to go right. and it's like you're trying to assimilate and conform God into what your idea yeah. of a God is. It's like the figurehead like, versus like the people who control said yeah, figure, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not even, I don't even really care about that. It's just the audacity that you could be like, if you don't do what I want you to do because I see you as a God, like you're useless to us. It's like, bro, didn't you like ask him like what he, if as God wants himself? He doesn't even want to be a part. He doesn't want to be your God. Like yeah, yeah. how do you have the balls to be like, if you don't do this, you're useless to us. He's just like, I don't give a well, fuck. That's, like, that's, well, that's like, the point. Well, right? yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well yeah, 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 but that it, it's just, it's just weird where it's like, why? Why? Just no, find find yeah. someone who then actually wants to be yeah. your god. It's like, definitely fucked up, and I think like I, I think it stems from this this idea that you know, you know, at least the fuck group we know and Reun specifically talks about where they're like, look, you know, Reun's like, this is a shitty situation for us to be in and for Bam to be in. We're not purposely trying to hurt Bam, but make no mistake, it has been literally forever since we've had an irregular in this tower that we think can stand a jihad. Jihad's got to go. So if Bam doesn't want to fight Jihad because he's not feeling it, we're not going to wait for him to come around and feel it. Like, yeah, yeah. this dude is, like, you know, and that's where, like, Fug is put in such a gray area because they're not straight evil. Like, Jihad, this tower and ecosystem he's built is the definition of broken and twisted and fucked up, and it's hurt and killed and destroyed lives all throughout the tower. So, like, Fug innately wanting to get rid of that is not bad. That's not the harmful element here. 
it's in what, in, again, it's the method to the madness in what they're asking Bam to do and become to get rid of that, where it's like, all right, you guys are stepping on a little bit too many toes here. But again, it's like, I under, on some level, I understand this fear from people of being like, if Bam, if this irregular doesn't want to be this God and doesn't want to do this job, like, we may never get another chance to do this again, right? And and so, I, I again, I don't approve of it, obviously, and I don't, you know, uh, stand it, but I... I get it. On some level, I get where it's like, you know, fear. You know, fear has never led anybody to make by itself a good decision, but fear can lead people to make all kinds of decisions. And so I get this idea or this this feeling of like, fuck, if he says no, like, we might not get another regular ever. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Uh, so then we get into the big enchilada here <laughs> of uh, the the chapters that we read oh, today. Oh. And that would be the Royal Rumble, the showdown between the two contestants, Anak, Jihad, and uh, Kuhn Ran, or Ran Kuhn. Yeah. Um, This one was very interesting because we've now, y'all set us up. I knew what you were doing, (laughs) right? Where they're like, who do you think is going to win? Blah, blah, blah. And like they did fight. And then here they are again. And it's like, all right, now it's all put to the test. Like, what do we think? And this was really fun during stream because we were like, all right, bets, like do it. So I initially said a knock. And then Isaiah said, ran, then Gavin said a knock. And then I took back my bet on a knock and bet on Paracule. And then we got into this fight here, which was really awesome. Now we've said it before, or at least my opinions where it was like, okay, I think a knock has more power, you know, like just straight up strength. Um, like animalistic strength as compared to Rand, but Rand is very intelligent with his gadgets and, you know, underhanded tricks. And he's also very strong himself. That's definitely not to be missed. Um, so it was interesting because when they get into this test, you're thinking, and it was funny because the um, one of the guys, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy with the scar, Kuhn gave him the scar. Yeah. And he's explaining to uh, Wang Nan that, you know, he's kind of going through that same thing. He's like, well, if it's a fight like this, it's this and it's blah, blah, blah. So he's like, I think Rand's in an advantage here because there's rules to this and he could use those rules to his advantage, mm-hmm. right? All the while we have the gamblers now, um, you know, Shibasu, Kuhn, who's disguised as the masked man, all these other people. Um, and there is, it is the last round. So they get to potentially go all in on someone. But if you win, you get three mil credit. And this is like where it came down to, because it was like, okay, is it a knock or rank? Cause we all know. And, so Shibasu winds up, you know, putting his faith in Anak and Kuhn in the analytical version, you know, is like, uh, this is Ran, you know, this is Ran's fight. So they get into it, man. And it was pretty crazy because Ran right off the rip to me, which was nuts, right? Because before we knew this, he's like, yeah, no, fuck the rules. He's like, we all know one of us is winning this. So he's like, how about we make it so one of us has to get a limbed and the other two can fight amongst themselves to get it. And you let us do a 1v1 fight, like essentially like a fight to either the death or somebody's incapacitated or something. And the guy's like, uh, how do we feel about that? And everyone's like blood, you know? And so he's just like, fuck it. It's good. (laughs) And so they go. So I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, Rand, you kind of just like put yourself into a corner here, but like, you gotta have a plan, right? There's gotta be something. And it's at that point that Rand takes his uh, cute little pills um, or gumdrops that turn him into uh, Kilua from Hunter Hunter, where he just has this electricity flowing through his body that combines with his Shinsu. He develops a mark, and it's able to enhance his physical strength to the level of a Nox even more so than it. And it was like, oh, shit. Like, now it's going down, but it's only five minutes. Of course, there's got to be a drawback. And he's so damn cocky that he tells her that. 
you know, and he's like, you know, that that's it. So what were our initial impressions of this fight? Because we have a couple, you know, there's a couple key points to hit within the fight, obviously, this being probably the, the first one. Um, do you guys have any thoughts? Um, uh, yeah, I, so I definitely, you know, like we said before, I had my money on Rand just because not to like any fault of a knock. Um, but I, I just felt like, again, this was a game and like, just from the, the second Rand walked in here, like you knew this man had a plan and I feel like it kind of boiled to me when we started it boiled down to the Batman Superman fiasco where it's like, Batman's got enough time to prep before the fight. My money is probably going to be on Batman because like if Kuhn, no, I mean, cause Rand, had one fight with a knock, and albeit it was not nearly as drawn out as this fight, but we know it doesn't take these coons a whole lot of time to analyze and prepare a counter strategy for whoever they're fighting. All they need essentially is one glass, like one look over. Um, so I knew, I, or I don't want to say no, I knew, I thought, or, or I, my money was on Rand because I just felt like this boiled down to not a straight fight. This wasn't in like a wasteland where there is no judge. There are no, like, you know, it's like th this wasn't quite, it just didn't feel like a Knox turf, right? This felt like Rand's game. And I felt, just felt like Rand could play the game a little bit better. He knew exactly what, I mean, we, we do see it a little bit later in the fight, what buttons to push in said fight. Um, and, and so by my, that's where my money was on. Yeah. 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 And yeah. my, literally why I voted for a knock was the exact reason of what Isaiah just said. And my thought on it is, when somebody walks in the room and it looks like they have it all laid out and they have the plan and they have the moves and they push the buttons, not going to lie, just for writing purposes, those are t those are usually nine times yeah. out of ten the people who get their ass turned on their head because that's the whole point in terms of hyping up the audience. And it's exactly what they did with a knock, being the uh, everybody likes an underdog. And obviously, it was very apparent from the first after – or after um, – Ran, like, laid out all the rules and then took that pill and, you know, got his power up. In my mind, I'm like, all right, well, you already – that – you already know Anak is having a comeback just based off of, like, SIU and the way he, like, choreographs fights. So, like, for me, like, it was super hype, but in the back of my mind for that entire fight, I kind of knew it had to either play out with, A, Anak winning, being the underdog – or B, I even said it during the stream, they're both going to get knocked out, and they're both, and you know, either they both draw, which means they both pass, or they both fail, which obviously led to the latter where they both failed. So in my eyes, I like when they do that, but I also prefer the initial fight that they had together over this one specifically because it felt more balanced in terms of I really didn't know who was going to win because there was no power-up spike moments where anybody felt like an underdog. It was very back-and-forth not one-sided, and that, in my mind, made it more um, unsettling and unsure on who was going to win. I generally couldn't tell, but when I reach an instant like this, it kind of takes me out of the fight because I'm like, it's either the underdog's going to come back and win or they're both going to draw, especially when somebody has a power-up like what Rand did, and that was just my mind as we were reading it, and, like, for me, it made it more transparent on what SIU was trying to do, and, like, it took away the... um the unsureness on how the fight was going to end. And that's why, again, I said a knock from the beginning, like realistically ran when he came out. Yes. By like the book, he should have won. But with that said, because he's the one who should win is why I default to a knock's going to win because she's already the underdog. And again, it's the way most of these stories are written. So like, that's just my mindset yeah. through it. And like how I look at every fight in general that I see, I really like it when, they either A, don't have that initial spike in the beginning and hold it to the end, or B, it's just so neck and neck the whole time, you're generally unsure. Like, that whole time, even me and you were saying it, we're like, yeah, yeah, Anak's getting kicked, but it's like the person who's doing all the kicking in the beginning, they're always going to have it turned on their head in the end. And unless you balance it evenly throughout, 
You're just waiting for it to happen, which is literally what we were doing. We were like, all right, she got wet. She got fucking slashed through the heart. You're like, she's going to have that willpower to come up. And sure enough, she did. Like, for me, I don't like knowing that. I'd ref- I'd prefer to have a fight to where it's like, I just genuinely don't know for the whole time. So, so, I, don't so know. I would like to say, in normal circumstances, mm-hmm. I would agree with you. Okay. Um, in that there is an air of transparency when it comes mm-hmm. to your typical story. And yeah. by typical, I mean one that isn't above and beyond. I do disagree with you, though, for this one. And I feel I disagree with you because if Tower of God has shown me anything, it's that it never, it always subverts my expectations in some way or another. And I think there were, and again, this is opinion, but I did not have that feeling, actually. When we were going through, I was saying Anak's going to get through this, but I actually had no clue if Anak was going to get through that. I was just really standing my girl there because right. I wanted her to win. Oh, see, you for know, me, I knew she was going to come back. Like, yeah, honestly, but, that was but I would like to say that, number one, she didn't win. You know what I mean? And yeah. number two, it was a comeback, but it wasn't a comeback in the sense that it's like now Rand's getting it flipped on no. his head. You no. know what I mean? Which is which is the difference, yeah. right, from, from what you were saying. So... I don't know. I feel that well, no, actually. Because I mentioned both. I said it's either one of two things. Either A, they're both going to draw, or B, she's going to win. And that's what I'm saying is just well, that, well, where I can like, have that's that the conclusion. Thing. I, I, there were, I definitely thought there was an argument for Rand just winning straight up. Because I also thought there was an argument for Anak even when she did get up. Like you were like, it's not over yet. When she got up, mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I'm like, she's going to win. You know, I, was, I said to you, I'm like, she's going to win. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, yeah, because when Anak goes through this thing where it's like, okay, listen. You you play me like you got my whole weakness figured out and that I'm stupid. Um, and you know what? Maybe I am in some way, shape, or form at some right. And maybe I do have too much pride. But, like, I don't think you get it that I can't run. There is no running in this. It's go until I drop. It's go, it's go at you 110% because there is no other option. It's mm-hmm. not in my DNA. So, but even though she has that... That didn't mean she was going to win. Like, she could have went at him if we seen to bring God of high school into it, right? There's a lot of moments where it's mm-hmm. like somebody has this awakening and then just gets fucking flatlined within, like, a split second. So I actually personally, in my opinion, I had no clue which, is, which way this was going to go, especially since we had that shot of Shibasu writing down a knock at the beginning mm-hmm. to make it like, okay, I really thought a knock was going to win because I was like, well, for the plot service, for this mm-hmm. plot sake, and we didn't see who Kuhn wrote down. So that was the other thing that also, in my mind, solidified it, was when they didn't show what Kuhn said. And I didn't verbally say it, but that was another thing, where it's like, if you're going to show what Shibisu wrote down and not show Kuhn, like, for my mind, I'm like, he wrote Ran. And I'm like, that's where it really, like, toward the end, if you look at the live reaction, I'm like, it's coming to a draw. Because, like, just when you leave out that information, it's almost like when it was Hots versus Casano. And, you know, Casano's just fucking ripping on, or um, when Hots was just going all out on Casano, and you're like, you already know he's going to turn it around, and it's going to be, like, more or less one shot. Like, it's those fights that I tend to appreciate less. Are they, are, does that make them less hypey? No. But I would just say their first fight, Ran and Anak that they had prior to this one, I genuinely felt like I enjoyed it more than this one. I'm not saying that this one wasn't any less hypey, but that like that um, like shade of just unknowingness for me was more apparent in that first fight compared to this one where I felt like I knew where it was being steered. And I guess that's just my two cents. That's on. fair. Yeah. What do you think? I, I pretty much a hundred percent agree with uh, Ian. I think like this fight. Uh, you know, had me on the little edge of my seat for the entire fight. And I think regardless 
of the fact that I bet on Rand did not in any way solidify that I like knew Rand was going to win because it's kind of impossible to know, um, or even or, or or that I definitely saw a scenario in which a not could win, um, and that like the option the actual outcome was not even in my mind. Like I I did genuine and I think one on a comedic beat and two on a storytelling beat. That's <laughs> what made the actual outcome so great. Yeah. Um, but it's that I didn't see that coming, and it's like you. Like the actual battle ended in a draw, which was a which was a possibility that happened. But like even again, that draw did not happen in the way that I anticipated Mm -hmm. said draw happening. I anticipated like we both take a blow to the face and just drop. Right. Or it's like nobody can get back up. And like that's the draw. Um, But it's like, I don't know. I I, I still I don't think it took anything out of the fight for me. I think it definitely made uh, the fight better because this fight, I think, displayed a lot more of each of their character. Um, as That's opposed fair. to the mm-hmm. first fight, which I well, I think was in a different environment, so it like led you to a little bit more of like unsurety as to how things are going to play out. Um, I almost feel like that like not crippled it because I think that that their first fight was like great in a sense too, but like this really like literally let them take the gloves off and be like, all right, no more smoke and mirrors. Like, let's hit each other and see who drops first. And it's like we got to see how a knock stands to people as a fighter. We got to see where Rand stands to people as a fighter, but not only that, like Rand and a knock, we mentioned this in during the stream, like don't, they both have incredible strengths, but like also incredible weaknesses and both a weakness they both share is that quite simply, I think it's like battle, battle experience, right? Like they're both are prone to letting their emotions, whether it's in the moment or sort of like all throughout, um, drive them to a decision that doesn't make any sense, right? It's why this fight ends in a draw and not Rand winning. Cause I think you, Kuhn even says it. He's like, in the moment after uh, Rand pierces a knock, um, he should have won straight up. If he kept his distance and fought long distance, which we know Rand can do and specializes in, there's literally no reason he should have lost. But he he lost the fight, or rather, he didn't take the win because he let a knock provoke him. He let the literal his strategy essentially fall back on him and ended up jumping up to her and confronting a knock in the only way a knock can actually stand his like stand up to him. And so like, but it was like. Watching these two fight, not just like blow to blow, but like literally how they fight, like how they think about each other as fighters and how they think about fighting was like wildly more, I think at least, like fun to watch and, and intense um, than the than their first fight. And I think it definitely led to this air for me of like, again, like, yeah, I put money on Rand, but like, <laughs> like I don't know. Oh, yeah, and I don't think, I think it's important that I didn't know from the start, it's just I, and I'm not saying the fight is bad. It's just I do not like it when they're so heavy-handed on one-sided fights in the beginning because, for me, that is just when it makes it seem like if you don't ice her with, like, especially when he gave that time period, and he's like, I have five minutes. For me, it was that was the ticking time bomb where it's like, okay, like, it, it felt more generic in terms of how the fight was being constructed like constructed to where it's like either some crazy shit's got to happen in the end or a knock's coming out. Like, and for me, like I just genuinely felt that through it, not saying it's bad and that I didn't enjoy it, but it's like with any anime fight, if it is so heavy one-sided, it's either they're getting blown off right off the bat. And if they announce that they're going to do it or have a time stipulation nine times out of 10, it doesn't happen. And that's so you just, don't, you don't the think reality. there, you don't think there was a scenario where a knock has that awakening and then still loses. You thought it had to be either draw or a knock pulls it and wins. Um, at the point when he announced the time. Yeah. Like when he had that final blow, like, especially when he first did the blow, it was like, Oh my God. But even then we're like, she's getting back up. And for me, it's like, if she didn't get back up, okay, then she's dead. And that's the fight. But in my mind, I'm like, it is so, like, you aren't going to go into all of this, like, 
depth, especially even having a prior fight before and have all of this backstory without her logistically coming back up and giving him the like what's for, like what's for and then a have it end the way it did like yes there might have been a way where they can't and that's the thing i'm not saying like she could have came back and he could have came back again and then won but in my eyes a lot of fights aren't actually made in that way and there is a little bit of a pattern from fights that we've had with siu i.e the hots and casino specifically where it tends to be sometimes when somebody has a bit of a heavy hand in the beginning there aren't many times where it comes back. It's it's that back and forth of more than just a couple times. And that's why for me specifically, I felt like in this particular fight, it was only these two options. And at the end of the day, in my mind, it did come down to those two options. I get, I I don't get know. the comparison you're making, but I think the Hots and Casino fight is just a little different because in that one, last time we had a clear winner, right? In the first fight, we but not in the beginning. There, there though. was no well. well that's the, the first no, time the, they fought, or the, with the Hots and Castle fight, we did. Yeah. Like, there was a clear winner and a loser of that fight. Well, no, but but fought. the thing is, like even with that fight, if you remember when Hots was going in on it, the first thing that I think me and Ian both said was he's getting this many licks on in the beginning. He's no, 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 not the and second like, fight. The first fight they have off panel. Yeah, where we the didn't see it. Where Casano just bitch literally says it was a clear and utter defeat on Hots' part. Right. So going into that fight, your assumption literally has to be that Casano's going to one-hand him again, right? Because you have no reason to put any faith that even if Hots is, like, trained, you know what I mean? Like, the, the outcome that happened that. with Hots, well, okay, what I'm saying is you can make the assumption, but that's not the same thing as actually knowing. Like, knowing that Hots is going to just, like, usurp him or, or you know, uh, better him in any way is not, an ex- is not a valid expectation to have, right, going to the fight. And I think that's what makes that interaction or fight uh, so engaging is seeing the fruits of his labor actually like jump over the threshold that you didn't think he could reach. And again, thematically was sort of the point of that fight. Whereas this fight up, you know, they've always been neck and neck there. It, there was no, like, it didn't seem to me like there was no way Rand could win because like there seemed to be a, a you know, a plot thread in my mind where like Rand could just outwork a knock, you know what I mean? And like he could pin her down with this pill and keep, you know, thrashing her, but that she wouldn't have what it takes to sort of like, put her emotions aside in, you know what I mean? Mentally. And like use that to sort of like level head herself and, and, you know, win this fight. I guess you yeah. just say with the, with the Casano and Hots fight, I disagree personally. Like, yeah, it's an assumption, but I feel like they, he could have very well put that Hots put in this work. And now he's giving Casano the what's to just to display his power. Yes. It was like the point. It wasn't going into the fight at my mind where I was like, hats, like in my mind, hats had a chance. What turned it off was when he started trying to mollywop him from the beginning and just in him doing that in the physical fighting, that is when in my mind it turned it off and I was like, he is getting bitch slapped. Same thing with this. In the beginning, I genuinely didn't know, but it became very apparent while they were fighting in my mind, I was coming to the conclusion where Ran is going this ham, it isn't going to end in his favor. And that's just from my experience watching anime fights and just my thought throughout. And I just prefer fights where they balance it better. And I just felt like in the be- in the first half, it was very well balanced where Anak was putting her one-two in and Rand was doing his one-two in and it ended in that draw for this one when I just see Anak getting fucking silly swapped. Like, in my mind, I'm like, they're not going to do her dirty because it's a knock. Like okay, it's just, it's enough. almost like that plot armor and that's just it, but let's not harp on it any fucking yeah, long. No, it no. was a dope fight. Honestly, like it was good yeah. in the ending with Paracool, like Paracool dog. Yeah, yeah. That was fucking hilarious. Well, yeah. So I want to get to that. But one thing I want to say with the fight just in general is that, um, a knock, I wanted to talk about her character development for mm-hmm. a second. Um, and how she effectively rubbed off on ran mm-hmm. in a sense, right? Because she was, her willpower was so strong. 
Um, and she was just not willing to take any sort of shit from anyone. And in the immortal words of Mike Tyson, I'd like to bring up the quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So I thought that that was a pretty cool display of it in here when like Rand was pulling out all the stops and then a knock was just like, oh no, 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 you thought it was done. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's like, I'll, I'll die before this happens because like there is no other choice. And it was really inspiring to me. Right. And, um, you know, and so inspiring, I feel be- that it, om- it rubbed off on Rand because there was a point at the end where Coon was like, all right, all you got to do is Ranger out right here. You got to like spam square. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just keep shooting. And then he's like, and then he dives at her and <clears throat> Coon's like, whoa, no, you were not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like you just fucked yeah. that up. He's like a yeah. coach on the sideline. Yeah. be like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you just blew the game. Yeah, you know what like I mean? What I like, he, like, <laughs> let his, he let his head go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it was really interesting and it was really awesome on a knock. And I, I can't, I can't overstate like how important I felt this was to Knox character development. And just for me having that much more respect for her mm-hmm. as a character, um, I don't know. It just brought back memories of you know the first the first season yeah, and like I she hope gets she's back her green to, April, dude. Yeah, she's a powerhouse, man. No joke. But anyway, so let's talk about Gavin's favorite character here and his team up with Hots. Go ahead, Gavin. Take the it away, <laughs> bro. I don't the need to hubby. say anything. Look at this fucking face. Look at it. That's all you need. If you need more, go to bed. Okay, I'm not bed. talking to you. I'm not talking to you. Look Fair at enough. this. Long time no see. You're right, long time no see. How have you been doing, my fucking husband, dude? Like, can I just kiss this TV? <laughs> I mean, you could. There's <laughs> literally lip marks on the TV, yeah, yeah, dog. Yeah, dude, You're cleaning that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking worth it. Yeah, fucking worth it, dude. Look at, look at that. Oh, You're look at that wild. Dog. So you want to talk about like what actually happened or are you just going to... No, <laughs> no, no. I, I, nope. No, you can take it away. I got, I got my... So Hots and Lero Rowe team up. That's a thing. Because So Hots is, is in prison and this happened before, but he was imprisoned essentially in this room and he's like wow Casano really just sucks at tying these these ropes up or whatever to bound me and then at that point we're like is Casano trying to like do something to save him right now like what's going on and then he gets advice from Emily mm-hmm. you know it's like look under the bed idiot and then he's, he's like oh shit there's a door you know so he goes down tries to figure all this shit out robot comes etc and then you know the drill yeah you, you know, know the drill. drill I'm not gonna go through the whole thing again but then this is when we have the appearance of the boy Laro Row. Mm. And I thought this was awesome. Um, I love these moments. You know, it's just awesome. You get all these like nostalgia moments where it's like, hey, those are my favorite characters from the first season. And now my favorite characters from this. And now they're seeing each other again. And it's like such a I know that nigga, bro. Yeah, yeah, that's literally it. Like happens all the time. You know what I yeah, mean? But like right. this was a, a prime example of that. And it was really cool to see Laro Row doing this like undercover shit yeah. Yeah, right yeah. now and trying to infiltrate this. And you don't know what his end goals are you know per se, per se yeah but sure. uh he's I mean, just kind of like vigilanteing this the shit thing right now is that like he's such a you know obviously like likable character right like when we ended the first season he was one in my book one of the good characters because after everything that goes on he's like i don't i don't fuck with what's going on here bro i don't know what you guys are pulling um but i don't like it and like i'm fuck whatever's happening here with these tests like i'm just i'm quitting and i'm gonna find out the truth myself whether you tell me or not and it's like fuck with you man yeah. Whatever you, whatever you're getting into, whatever you, wherever you go, I, I fuck with you. Yeah, it's cool. So now he's essentially commissioned Hots to be like, "Hey, 
help me out here. We're going to go get this. this Join weapon. the Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll put an end to the living ignition weapons or whatever. For real, right? So now they're going to go do that. And Quan's probably just like chilling at the hotel right now, you know, yeah, like playing video games. Or, or starring yeah. in the next it's movie. It's actually yeah. pretty great because he's literally like, yo, I'm uh, working part-time at this gig. You want in? Like, we're going to go kill an ignition weapon. And Hot is like, ah, oh, but they're fighting. He's like, don't you worry, nigga. That shit ended like two days ago. Yeah. And Hot is like, I bet. <laughs> and they just sign up. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah, all right, that was awesome, dude. Just like this infiltration thing. Also, the little moment that Hot has, you know, when he's fighting this robot, and he's like, oh, I can't win. I'm on my sword. And he's like, this is good enough. And he yeah. pumps that fucking yeah, pipe full shit. Yeah, just fill it starts whacking motherfuckers. Yeah, that oh, man. That was, and Lara Rose's entrance was like 10 out of 10. Oh, oh yeah. 10 oh, out of 10 yeah. when, he came, when he came down. That was Better like be. straight up out of a movie. 100%. Yeah, that was awesome. Can't wait to see that. Anybody um, so... Uh, real quick, oh, we, we needed to get this shot. I know this already happened, but of, of Pericule here doing Revolu or evolution long term. Like, dude, this is so good when he fucked the whole fight up with everyone and then made them all lose. And like, His fucking ass Pericule, pickle, dude. bro. Pericule's comedy is just like I A1. I literally can't. It's I will say hysterical. the funniest thing about the fact that Pericule like, did what he did in these chapters and what he did was the fact that I genuinely forgot oh. this character existed exactly. until these chapters. <laughs> yep. And I will say yes. the only way that he could fuck up this character is if he has this nigga, it like starts spamming him like oh, every other 100%. chapter. So like, I hope this doesn't become nearly like a regular thing because yeah. the only payoff, at least for me personally, is that I genuinely forgot about his existence <laughs> until these chapters. And I was like, that's fucking hysterical because he's got literally no place in this story other than the fuck with shit. I know, it's great. That was so funny, man. It just took us from, from left field. Oh I, my I totally God. And the fact that like SIU plays on like the rule of three here, which is like you can do no one joke more than three times, right? Where it's like yeah. this happened, and I was like, okay, that's hilarious, but surely he's not going to do it again, and he does it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was still funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought so you yeah. know, his his thing with Rack too is just great. How oh, Rack yeah. is just his beating the hell out back of him. and forth. Oh yeah, it was so great. He's fucking everything up. <laughs> but anyway, um, this wasn't a talking point, but I made it one. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's um, let's all um. Actually, it's not. It's a moment of silence for just. Just look at that. Can we? Just do zoom you in have a like bit? the 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 good screenshot here, the full body one? I don't know. My phone. I couldn't. Sorry. What do we even pay him for? I know. <laughs> what do we pay him for? Um, right. All right, we'll job. work off second best. You'll just have to imagine. <laughs> so right. tell me, what are our thoughts? Um, uh, I mean, like, how do you define beauty? That's like such an arbitrary question. You know, like when somebody's like, "What is beauty to you?" It's like. What is blue? You know, <laughs> what is the sky when you really break it down? All I what is the is reason that like the galaxy mm. exists? You know, these questions are all relevant <laughs> in this term because like I don't know how to describe this other than like, and I was telling Ian off screen here that like this panel is gorgeous, absolutely, but to, for me it is amplified by knowing that not nearly a day ago before this event. She was whooping niggas' asses on stage <laughs> with a fucking, you know, battle bot like thing. And I'm just like, the the juxtaposition of like her in a bathing suit all bloodied up from battle and this, it's like, that's the queen. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care who you know. I don't care what you like. Recognize yeah. the queen. I just want to throw a funny, a, co uh, a comedic story out there real quick. And uh, if my girlfriend's watching, I love you. Um, so when we were streaming this, uh, this panel pulled up and I'm reading it and I just literally pause. I'm like, and it was like a genuine pause. So we do this and we're talking about, you know, like simping over and Dorsey and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, baby, like if you're listening, I love you. Right. Like not thinking that she'd ever watch any of these streams. 
So we're done with the streams and I look at my phone and I have a couple text messages from my girlfriend. She goes, uh, she goes, um, excuse me, <laughs> simping over another woman. She goes rude <laughs> like that. Dude, it was so and I was like, bro, hilarious. the one time ever that she would yeah, listen yeah. to this. And it's the time that I'm like, let's all just simp over this 2D anime girl. <laughs> right now. Yeah. It was a comical story. I thought my opinion, it was funny. And I was like, listen, 2D girls can't hurt you. They're not real, <laughs> but there are body pillows. This guy one could. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be like, you say that. I'm just saying. Until there's body pillows. Oh, man. That was funny, man. We have some laughs with this shit. Anyway, moving on to other shit right here. Um, <laughs> where was I here? Sorry. Uh, oh, okay, we do want to go to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry because I couldn't find the exact panel where they say it. But basically the point I wanted to talk about here was the fact that BAM is actually the prize. Or at least according to Emily um, as the weapon. As yeah. the person they get to keep. So I was interested, and this isn't the exact panel where they figured that out, but there's a lot of dialogue between Beta and Bam sure, in yeah. regards to the fact that he's potentially an ignition weapon, a complete one, and so is he. Um, and that, you know, he's like, yeah, you're the prize, ask Emily. So that was kind of the point that I wanted to to, to play on right here, if anyone had any thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting to me, though, because if there's a scene that happens before this that if you had taken out, I would have 100% bought into what Beta is saying here, and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, wait, if Emily said that Bam's a weapon, like, Bam's a weapon. Uh, like, no questions asked. But a scene that happens before this that makes me doubt Emily um, is the scene we get with Traveler when he's locked up in this jail cell and he's like, mm -hmm. I gotta save Emily, I gotta save Emily. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, wait, she told you that? I, I'm the one who's here to save Emily. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. oh, wait a minute. Yeah. We are getting some some miscommunicational crosses yeah. here that makes me doubt anything this AI bot or, or person, whatever, is yeah. saying because mm -hmm. now immediately it, it casts a seed of doubt in my mind of like, yeah. Well, okay, Emily says that, but who is Emily? I have know? a theory, actually, that Emily as a weapon is not a weapon in conventional terms like the devil's right or left arm or the complete version where it's like I have this abundance of power that's, like, overflowing from me and I okay. have, like, these, like, crazy blasts and stuff. Although she could have that, I think her weapon is more of a psychological one and that a could literally influence the minds of people or do things that it's like it literally – she because um, Sophie says that it's like this is literally going to change the tower. It's mm -hmm. going to turn things on its head. And I don't think, oh, like, the just just having physical strength or all that kind of stuff, like, take a beta. I don't think a beta is going to do that, right? Or anything like a beta is going to do that, no matter how strong you are. Number one, jihad is a contract. So, like, if you're not an irregular, we already established that. Yeah. And number two, like... We've said it takes a village, right? Yeah. How are you going to change the course of the tower if not if not for influencing everyone in it or most of the people mm -hmm. in it? And yeah. I think that was a, for me, prediction, small teaser of like what she's truly capable of as a weapon. And I think it spans more into like that psychological yeah. realm. Personally. Although I don't know if it would happen. I think it would be cool if she was more like a virus in the system, Ooh, you know, because technology be cool too, yeah. is like heavily based yeah, in this world. Yeah. And if she was like a physical like. Or, like, not physical, but, like, a virtual, like, yeah. virus unknown entity. Quantity, yeah, because she knows, like, all the information that you could ever know. Like, yeah. literally, Hots is like, look under your bed, bitch. Like, there's a trap door. <laughs> like, like, how do you know that? Like, she has all of the knowledge or, you know, is funneled that <laughs> knowledge from ex people. So, yeah, like, yeah. that would be some, like, dope no, shit. No, that's pretty... I, I, I like that theory Um, that, like, she is the weapon but not in the conventional sense mm -hmm. because I think that while Bam, as an irregular here, as a wave controller... um could be the sword that strikes jihad down yeah, yeah. um this tower that again it's like removing jihad is not a one-all fix-all problem this tower is so seeped and like literally reconstructed on the way jihad operated in that way that thing that gets things done is violence right is combat is fighting 
So, like, there's only one way to turn over violence, and it's not with more violence. It's with knowledge. So I think, like, while Bam might be able to cut out, like, the root, you know, Mm -hmm. of of this disease, you know, in the tower, which would be jihad... Um, in order to fix the tower and make it something different and turn it on its head, you're going to need a different kind of way. You're going to need something yeah. else that can hit people large scale. And I think that Emily, if that's what she is, could definitely be that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see yeah. how yeah, that plays cool. out. Um, anyway, so we wanted to uh, also oh. talk about Teddy Bear and uh, mm. Usang's development as well. And this Bro. has kind of been budding throughout the throughout yeah. the whole read-through, but we wanted to save it for now because this is probably one of the most impactful scenes, and that mm. is the scene where they're at the party, and then they're, you know, they're talking, oh. they dance, which is really cute. And then at the end here, um, referring to the panel, Teddy Bear is like, after the tournament, can I come back? Because he has this little, you know, head thought where he's like, you guys are kind of all the family I need. Mm-hmm. You know, like you were the guys who really loved me because he's having these second thoughts about Sophie. And mm-hmm. it's like, that love was fake. That was fabricated. It's not real love. Like, this is real love. And this yeah. is what yeah. I want. And it's like, dude, he really is a teddy bear in the sense yep. that it's like yeah. he's this big softy with all this ability and power. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, he's found love. And just like in the platonic sense and in the, you know, in that sort of sense as well, where like a budding relationship yeah, he's and there's, just, man. there's something about, you know, and, and you could do this not with any character, I guess, but like, well, you could do it with most characters who don't grow up, right, in, in any sort of conventional uh, means or way, sure. right? Where there's something about watching a character grapple with emotions that you as a viewer, at the very least, understand, right, or can relate to, sure. that like, there's this like weird level of like, I know what that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. literally on a court, it's like, I know what, you know, when he's like, uh, after they have this conversation and he's like, I, I gotta go, but like, my, I literally can't move my legs. Like, I, I just wanna stay here longer. And it's like, just, just, cut. Ah, like, I know. Mm-hmm. I'm Teddy. so glad he said something. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought it was gonna be one of those cliche oh, things happen God, where yeah. it's like, I really love her. You know what I mean? But it's like, I'll, I have something to tell you. I hope you have a good night. You know what yeah, I mean? And then yeah. they walk away and it's like, fuck, dude. Or he's like, or the fact feel. that he's like, we can't be together. It's like, yeah, yeah. fuck that nigga, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, tell her you love her yeah, and you say yeah. that back and like, just have babies yeah. and oh, be happy. dude. And it's like, he have didn't, babies. Out, he didn't like <laughs> outright say that it's like, yeah. I love you. Like, yeah. you know, specifically, but he at least got the point across yeah. that it's like, listen, I want to come back. I want to do this, which mm. kind of scares the living shit out of me for his yep. future. Yep. Not going to lie. Because like, bro, Gavin was saying before the whole like cliche, it's like, I've learned one thing. Hero says before they're like, God, to make the sacrifice right there. And it's like you don't though because you got things at home bro like you got yeah bro. that scares me yeah. is all i'm saying because we already had the scare with him once i genuinely thought he died and now he's back and now it's like fuck dude stop saying you love people and yeah, all this and, stuff and, and, and gavin brought up a point where i think we could turn this shit into a greek tragedy real quick where if casino gets mm-hmm. fucked up from sophie's thing but somehow mm-hmm. gets warped and blames him we could have this like tragic mm-hmm. brothers duel where yeah. they fucking kill each other and it's like if that happens i might have to take a beat and stop yeah, yeah, and that's what I like, felt was gonna happen. I'm like, I, I don't swear to fucking God, because this man yeah. deserves love. And I would make an argument that Casino does too, because he was equally fucked up in the realm of just Amen. going through all of this shit. I, and like, another theory, uh, another theory. Another theory. I actually think they're gonna team up to fight Beta. Because Beta is the completed Ooh. version of them, and then when they're Ooh. together, they are like the completed I version, but they have to use each other. And it's going to be cool to see that. like if their love, like the love that they've shared and that they've received, and like the bonds that they've had are are able to prevail over the perfection, quote mm-hmm. unquote, that Beta has, but just in a physical, you know what I mean, like power sense. So that's I would my be, prediction. I would be curious on how it's derived with that prediction because a like my whole thing with Casino right now is just his emotional stability with Sophia, and I don't feel like they would. <laughs> both come together and be like this is you know his fault in a sense so i would be like 
What yeah. what did well, what's his so little here, here's here's a theory if this okay. helps you. At the end, which we'll get into in a second, mm-hmm. Beta says basically like uh, fuck the police and fuck Sophie because she's doing this to fuck everyone over and you jack my... We'll get to the panel. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. she's, he says her... He says her specifically, um, but he, he references her and he's like, you are the one that's jacking my life up. You are the one that's doing this. I am going to show you people and, you know, everyone involved what I'm truly capable of and there might be, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if that if that helps. I don't know if it's going to happen. Might not even fight. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying I, I, it would be cool. I, I think it'd be cool they fight. I yeah. just don't think that Horiang or um, Casano have any like personal stake in it where they're like they feel like they need to go after him well for i some, think like, not now thing. well if he fights, if he goes against sophie would be the thing yeah, where well, it's like if they're willing to put their differences aside with sophie and like appreciate the love that she did give them even though it was fabricated and still come to her aid and defense because Horyang even states with uh gusang earlier that he's like listen i kind of know that the love was a little like fudged but if it wasn't for that love we wouldn't have been able to be where we are today and survive that but yeah, I, I, think, I think i think yeah. what i think though is that Beta becoming their enemy wouldn't be because he would do something like attack Sophie. It'd okay. be something like because Beta would attack their current group of friends. Okay. Because I think while yes. Sophie's love, which like you said, which is a good point, as fabricated as it may be, was something that got them through it. It's not something that no longer is worth for Horhang to protect. Mm-hmm. Whereas if Beta attacks Dosang or or Bam or these people that he has now staked real love and relationships on, I think. Horhang, and even in a weird way, Casano, if we integrated like him to by extension of Hots, yeah, and like got him into the group, like if these brothers can bond with real people and Beta is a t- then goes against them, yeah. I think that is just yeah. enough to put okay. these two against Beta. I, and be like, that. Oh, I, I like that. that. I'm just more concerned with Casano because right now he has nobody and barely really has sure. yeah, that's true. I they've think, been separated. I think for it's so going to be a so little like, bit harder for Casano, and I think it might even be some contention between them. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I would like to see I get like something where it's like yeah. have a they come hope. together. <laughs> yeah, where yeah. It's, you know, it's complete. Yeah, exactly. It's like metaphorical sense. Anyway, so that was some interesting stuff. Cool theories there. So let's get into like probably one of the. Okay, or you don't want to load. Um, <laughs> I had a panel here. I'm sorry. Um, the uh, Rack meet, or rather, Bam meeting and Dorsey, uh, Rack. I think that was it, right? And then you know the yeah. and then and Dorsey, Rack, again. and Bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. was there. And well, Eon. and then Paracule uh, made an appearance as well. Let's talk about it. Oh, Let's God. talk about that while I, mean, I try and fix this panel. <laughs> I, one of uh, you know, I I told myself uh, right after we finished the stream that I was like, okay, for the thumbnail of this episode we're recording, there's only two options. One, it's Enderosi in that dress because how can you not ignore that? <laughs> um, or two, it's this literal panel here of Rack and Bam hugging because the thing that I love about this moment, uh, I mean, there's fuck it, there's a ton of things, but like one of the, the thing I love, I think the most is that like in that literal panel there, like in that m- literal moment where Rack like just sort of really charges in and fucks up the whole works of like the stealth operation everybody's got going on here, yeah. um, forces everybody's walls to come down and it forces Bam to like open his eyes sort of and see what's in front of him. And it's not these people that he has to push away in order to protect. It's these people who literally risked coming into enemy territory to see him because that's how much they give a fuck about him and, and his well being. And in that literal one panel, in that one moment, Bam got to drop the jewel vial grace thing and got to just be Bam again. He got to be yeah. the kid who like came up in the beginning to test floors of the tower and like made friends with these people. And like these are the people that he that he initially staked his life on. These are the people that he met and bonded with. And these are the people that arguably if he didn't meet 
and this same thing with Rachel happened, Bam would be a completely different person. If Bam didn't have that support system in the back of his mind to fall back on, he would be a complete, he might even willingly like end up like teaming up with fuck and be like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Cause as much as Bam, I don't want to say as much as like Bam preaches the idea that like right now, as it stands in his current life, he's got nothing left to fight for. He even has this moment during the tournament when he watches, when he's watching from the, the rafters, he's like, everybody here is fighting. They're fighting to survive. They're fighting for the things that they want and desire. And he's like, so what am I doing here? What is it that I want? What is it that I desire? And that's a question that's sort of been his central conflict for a while, because while he's operating under this alias and, and under this different persona, Bam effectively has had to stay dead, right? Nobody knows Bam is alive um, because in a manner of speaking, Bam was dead. And so in this moment, Bam literally gets to be resurrected. And and I think he ends up coming back and staying for a much more permanent stance than it looks. But like Bam, the, you know, these people are Bam's foundation, right? Yeah. They are his center, his focal point, And like Bam needs them. And, you know, what of course Bam sort of takes the noble stance here, at least initially of like, all right, I, whatever I will do whatever it takes as long as I can make sure that these people stay safe even if it means I have to keep them at arm's length at all times as long as I know they're not getting hurt as a response to what I'm doing like I'll take this bullet um but it's a pretty painful bullet to take especially mm -hmm. for as long of a time as he, he would have to do it and so to see his friends finally push back and be like nah dude fuck that noise like we're in this shit together and like specifically rack because he's had the least interaction with this group post uh, season two, right? So like he, him coming into this situation, which is the definition of complicated um, and sort of being like, I, 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 I get like what you're saying all in the, in the, but like, like that's our nigga, bro. But like we, that's, that's our home. We're like, we're, you know, this plan is cool, but like at some point we are going in here and getting yeah. that nigga out of here. Right. Cause like, that's our boy. That's my black turtle. I yeah. need my turtle. Like, and so to see him like, again, literally sort of gum up the works at whatever cost to like, even like, in my mind, thinking about it, it's like, even if it was just that, even if that's all he would have gotten out of that moment was like that affirmation, it's like, and again, even Enderosi, I think, has a really nice moment with him where it's like, it, it was just so nice to see all of these characters interact mm -hmm. in their original states again. And like Enderosi, I think, has this cool moment where, um, you know, Enderosi is not um, by any means uh, gentle or a loving person or, you know, a very um, you know, like caring person per se. Um, but she acknowledges the fact that this is Bam in the only way she knows how, right? And I think even again, we made this like statement I get, a long time ago when we were talking about season one. Yeah. Um, there's growth on Enderosi's part, right? Enderosi is slowly becoming a much more well-rounded person. And I think this moment, there's a little bit of, of showing that, right? From her perspective of like, all right, don't take too long to come back. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's again in her in her own way, like she is being, you know, she's being as supportive as she can be. And it's like, it, this was just such a great, like it, it was such a great moment because it was so well needed. Yeah. Yeah. And it was well needed. I guess the scary thing now is ball has to go roll. Like the ball has to start rolling because I mean, the reason why they haven't been able to have this interaction for this whole time was fog is tracking every single one of Bam's friends. And if he has interact interaction with them, they are going to get killed. So that is very apparent with Bam and why right afterwards he's like, after tomorrow's fight, I need to go. Like, I like we all need to leave, more or less, because if they don't do anything now, they're all just going to get picked off one by one. Yeah, because they even they all, state it. They, yeah, that's you know stated I mean? multiple yeah. times. And that's, yeah. the, like, that's why he's had to hold well, away from this whole time and, like, hide yeah, his yeah. existence, because it's not a matter of him being, oh, I can say hi and, you know, have this little, like, get-together reunion. No, they're going to get killed if he does that. And now that they had forced themselves into this situation, 
they have no other choice but to break away and try to find yeah. something for themselves. It's so, be an all-out fight. Yeah, whether you like it or not, Bam's like, fuck it, we got to go now. Like, Bam's I got to get more power. We all got to, like, get together and try to now hold off fucking Fug. Yeah. And yeah. I think yeah. what's going to ultimately end up happening is this fight between Bam's crew and Fug is going to result essentially in a race for the thorn. Oh, right? 100%. Think, and yeah. it's like whoever gets that thorn is ultimately going to be the one that decides how that outcome happens. Because yeah. if oh, Fug yeah. gets it... I. Almost think there's no question. They're just gonna start killing yeah, everyone. Bam's yeah, they friends. Can't, they yeah, can't they can't. They can't. You know what yeah. I mean? There has exactly. to be something yeah. where he's like on the run or yeah. something. Like and, that. Yeah, and and then if Bam gets it or his crew, um, that he will use it as leverage to be like, all right, I will do yeah. what you guys want, but I am do not fuck with these people, and and I'm operating on my own terms. I have a, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling Yurik's gonna make an appearance while they're getting the thorn, though. Really? Yeah. I have a really? Weird, I have a weird thought that he's just gonna kind of come out of nowhere, like in this weird, like crunch time spot. I hope he doesn't. Like, I really hope. I he hope doesn't. he doesn't. But I just I have feel a like weird that'd be very that lazy. That that like he like I like you know what I mean. If mm-hmm. he comes and helps the protagonist in a sense, yeah, that it's know. like that just seems a little I mean, silly. You know through, what I mean? Maybe through story, most things become clear. I think if there's a good enough reason for why Yurik mm-hmm. is there, yeah, there's got to be a good um, one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like because yeah. that's the other thing is other when we meet Yurik, it's so in the grand scheme of things, at least with character development fleeting mm-hmm. that we don't really know what Yurik's game plan is. Yeah, we don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we know is that he doesn't fuck with the literal plot premise of the show, <laughs> yeah. which is getting up the tower yeah, to kill Jihad. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. that's great. But then why do you get up and like, what are you doing here? Yeah, you know? exactly. So if he's yeah. just, just saving the environment. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is like <laughs> cool. But it's like, again, if you just roll up in here, cause you're like, dog, I was worried about the turtles. It's like, I don't really buy that though. Cause there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of shit you got to go through to get to these I turtles. Know. I just feel like, like if they're doing, if they're going for this thorn, there has to be some weird outside presence that like Probably. comes into the mix. And that's why just my first mind was yeah. like, maybe. So let's right. talk about it for a split second. Um, in that we have the real motivations, or at least starting to say the real motivations of Beta, and who says, I've waited for too long to push him into despair with my, our hands. It's the moment I get to crush everything precious to him. So that's interesting because we don't, maybe Beta isn't who he says he is because he does have bandages wrapped around his entire head. So there's that, you know what I mean? And it's like, well, why? Like, what's the deal? Is this like devilish figure? Are, is he talking about Bam? Is he talking about someone else? Because it seems that he's kind of like led Bam into the pseudo trap sure, with sure. that. And like, he's trying to knock around all these pieces, these chess pieces, kind of make the smorgasbord of, uh, you know, of everything going on. So... I don't know. I think it's Rachel. No. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> kidding. Yeah. Goes, Wait a minute, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's um, evil. So I mean, who's snakes, evil. yeah, snakes, no snakes. snakes, yeah, snakes. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting because again, Beta, you know, is is one of these characters who you know was newly introduced, but like we don't know what the end goal here is for this guy. I personally think he's much more in line of like the agent of chaos, and he's like kind of here to, you know, in, like, the dark, twisted way, like, prove a point to these people of, like, hey, if you guys start fucking around with making living weapons, um, like, that shit will bite you in the ass, especially when you take living people and ruin their lives for that sake. Like, you guys wanted a monster, I'm going to show you the damage a monster can do. And I think he wants to do that not only for himself, like, he he doesn't want to just do that for him, but if he can, again, in, like, the sort of Rachel philosophy, if he can bring Bam to that level, if he can, like fuck up everybody here right and it's like look these people like me a living ignition weapon who can handle both like you know parts and bam this person you touted as your savior if we can fall to grace like what is the point of what you guys are doing all you're doing is fucking with people you know so i think there's like this psychological battle going on here yeah absolutely well folks that is it that that is going to conclude our thoughts on the chapters that we've read today it was a hell of a conversation i hope you guys enjoyed the longer format don't get used to it it's a lot of work um but <laughs> like i hope you enjoyed um, it if not fuck but, you, or you did, fuck uh, 
Uh, we did have a lot of fun talking yeah, about this, was. flushing out yeah, some yeah, theories yeah. and stuff like that. So make sure you guys are joining that Discord. I can't stress it enough. So you could try and um, put your opinions to the forefront and see Max. what, you know, so we mm-hmm. can see what you guys want us to talk about there. And then we could take some of the best ones and have these fun conversations like we do now. Thank you again, everyone who hopped into the live stream. Obviously, thank you again for everyone that has watched this video today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did like the content, make sure you guys are liking, subscribing, hitting that notification bell, sharing with your friends and commenting your thoughts down below. Yes. What did you think of these chapters and what did you think of our discussion? Make sure you're referring to the description with all the links to our social media in there. Make sure you guys are hitting us up on the audio only platforms, Spotify, Google Play, um, Pod- Anchor, Anchor, etc. <laughs> um, also hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash AOA show mm-hmm. if you want to support the show that much more. And uh, I think that covers it. Listen, guys, until next time, thank you so much. We'll catch you on the flip. Peace. Later. Peace. Screaming out Bankai We just some ghouls though Who likes seeing parts fly